Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We're talking about the book of Proverbs. Thank you for being gracious to Pastor Terry last week. He, uh, he's one of our regular pastor folks and and uh, I asked him the other day when I met with him I said are you getting enough he's retired I said are you getting enough opportunity to preach and he when he first retired over a year ago he was busy every week and I thought I'm going to watch him and and see and and uh, that's all fallen off now and and so anyway uh, he was he was getting the preacher twitch and and so (laughs) I, I said, well, you could preach a, a, a book of Proverbs. I said, just figure it out. And he says, give me a time that would be better for you. And so last week when we were, we were coming back from Fort Collins, well, I, I said, you know, that would be a, an, easy, an easier time for me to uh, not have to, to uh, see how I can squeeze everything in when I'm gone. So anyway, it worked out really well. So um, we're going to be studying Proverbs chapter 4. But I want you to, to uh, notice, if you would, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me pray for you and then we'll read that. Father, we thank you today for this time. We bless you, Lord, for all that you do in our life. We also thank you, Father, that your living word impacts us each and every time that we open it. We thank you, Lord, that we can open together, we can learn together, Father, and that your Holy Spirit will enrich us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the 18th verse with me, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to read three or four verses here. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Keep in mind that what you all probably believe and what uh, at least some of the world believes uh, is at at conflict. That that basically in many people's lives, the idea of church and activity and and actually taking God's word as as something that's living and active. uh, A lot of that is is seen as, as, uh, as foolishness. In, in the world. And so you really do have to, to fight the battle inside yourself. Most of what we do to, to, to process living Christianity Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, you know, we're all real good Christians on Sunday, but whatever we do, you know, Monday through Saturday, the process of that is in a world sometimes it's not at all in agreement with what you would stand for. And occasionally they're not at all bashful about telling you that. And so you can, you can find that. So it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's the difficulty in processing these things is some of what we talk about in the area of wisdom literally represents the power of God. But it doesn't sound like it to the world. In fact, the world will, will tell you that it's foolishness. Look at verse number 19. It says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And that's talking about the wisdom of the world. And bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Again, much of what we deal with in the world comes up with all kinds of good ideas. I mean, if you listen to the, to the news reports today, what you can find out is that there are a great number of people who are scared. They'll, they'll, they'll just tell you that, that the world's going down real quick. And if you listen to that enough, it will infect you. And that infection will produce in you a pocket like infection does. And that pocket can be a pocket of unbelief, a pocket of doubt that God's word doesn't really work. And and so if you listen in today's kind of political and financial climate, you can get a little bit worked up about it. 
But the wisdom of God says this turns out okay. And so you probably ought to stay the course. Verse number 20, please. Notice that it says, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? And so these are people that speak the wisdom, people that write the wisdom, who, who record it. And then who is the disputer? Where's the argument at? And again, the argument is in the world. By and large, the argument is not in the church. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but the argument's not in the church. People come to the church to argue about what they experience in the world. You know, there's not, a, there's not a political dispute in the church. Sorry, I know you think there might be, and, and we don't really have a church that's full of, you know, my son goes to a church that's about 50-50. He says, Dad, there's a dispute in the church. He says, no, there's not. I said, every one of your people believe in God and that Jesus Christ will someday sit on the throne over this earth. Every one of them. There's no dispute there. You say, but, but they're arguing today. I said, that's the foolishness of the world. Just don't touch it. He says, really? I don't have to touch it? I said, no. You don't have to touch that. He had an interesting time where he was, this is Christopher, um, our, our kids in Fort Collins, where he was getting more information than he wanted or needed from the medical professionals. And he called one day. And I said, well, why are you listening to them? He says, well, because they're talking. I said, you don't have to listen. And I said, if you get tired of listening, tell them shut up. I can do that. Yeah. When somebody tells you something biblically erroneous, right? Somebody's telling you something against the Bible. You can listen all you want, but it's not going to be healthy for you. So either stop listening or tell them to shut up. You know, if you've got enough information, I'm just, you understand that, that your belief system is not affected unless you believe what somebody else tries to inject. Come on. Wisdom allows you to choose what God's word says as your basis of operation. When somebody interjects something else, you don't have to choose that. Right? Let, let the train go around the mountain a little bit here. Well, but there, it's medical practice. It's not medical perfection. It's medical practice. You the guinea pig. They're practicing on you. You say, well, what do I do about that? When you have enough information or you have too much information that goes against what God's wisdom says, stop listening. Come on, don't tell me you can't do that. Because some of you before this day is over are going to stop listening to me. You're going to get full. Your stomach's going to get empty. I'm going to have potentially a confusing thing to say to you. And you're going to go, well, I don't know what he's talking about. Aren't we about done? I have nieces and nephews and grandchildren. And my nieces, they occasionally um, think I'm God. And, and, uh, <laughs> and there's another family in the church whose daughter, two and a half, three years old, um, wondered if I was God. And, and uh, she actually said to her mother the other day, is God about done? <laughs> she stopped listening. Amen. And so again, worse of the sputer, the argument takes place in the world. You don't have to have an argument other than with yourself. When you renew your mind, 
you will face an argument because your mind's already been renewed to something else. If you went to a school that taught you about dinosaurs and, and apes and, you know, goo to zoo to you, if they taught you that stuff, when you learned creationism, you had an argument in your head. And I'll just tell you, without the Bible's wisdom, you can still have an argument. But here's the cool thing. In all of that stuff, they still haven't found what they call the missing link. The reason it's missing is it doesn't exist. If you look for something that doesn't exist, you're never going to find it. You can hypothesize about it, and you can have an argument in the world. Even though we can't fully explain and, and argue the science, and you know, there are people who are smarter than us out there, the argument is taking place in the world. Where is the disputer of this age? It's, it's a worldly thing. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yes. Verse 21, please. I am. I'm, I don't have my Bible open to it, so I can't do anything but wait. I'm what? Are you saving my wisdom? Hang, hang on. I'll find it. First Corinthians... You got it. Okay. For since in the wisdom of, of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. The world used its wisdom to determine why the wisdom of God doesn't work. Are you tracking with me? When we, when we read, when we study the book of Proverbs, we enter into a, a really interesting process. I don't know many of you home educators and, and, and people who are probably smarter than me. You understand that repetition is the art of learning. Over and over and over again. All right. So when you go out into the world seven days out of the week and, and inundate yourself with that, you're entering in the process of learning. What you feed yourself is what's going to have an effect on you. Does that make sense? And so the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world through wisdom did not know. They were smart enough not to know God. That's what that verse says. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Notice that it takes a renewed mind and an emphasis on your belief system. You do not receive the wisdom of God and then get smart. You get smart to receive the wisdom of God. You have to trust God blindly to receive the wisdom of God because it will go against much of what you've already learned. You go to a financial class in the world and they'll think if you're a tither or worse, you know, giving more than 10%, they'll think you're nuts. And they'll look at your stuff and they'll say, hey, you can't even put a pencil to this. This will never work this way. Well, first of all, don't stop me from doing something that's been working for 40, 40 years to tell me it won't work. When somebody is running in a race the wrong direction, it won't do you any good to argue with them about how you are running. They're going the wrong way. If, if you're running towards Jesus Christ and somebody in the world says, you know, that's never going to pan out for you. That's never going to be good. And you turn around and go the other direction, you've missed the wisdom of God. Amen. Notice, if you would, please, in the 30th verse, 
Thank you, Jeremy. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us. You see this? He became for us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom from God. You don't have to even know the whole Bible. Just go pick a gospel account. And what you see is wisdom in action. I just find it fascinating. I love the book of Mark because it's written by a younger guy. Plus, it's just action-filled. It's, it's, it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Okay? Just from action to action to action. What was he showing us? The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. When he came up against somebody who was sick, the wisdom of God says, let's pray for him. What did he do? You know, one guy, you know, some people say that, 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 that the methods aren't important. And they aren't. But I love the wisdom of God when Jesus does something crazy. He spit in a guy's eye, according to one version, and then put dirt over it and then asked him what he could see. That's the embodiment of wisdom. When he said, I see men walking around as trees, he prayed again. Why? Because there was a progressive miracle that was taking place. We saw the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So why are we spending so much time in Proverbs? Because Proverbs is a book completely about the wisdom of God. And all these little one-liners that you just keep repeating. I, wisdom, dwell in prudence in the knowledge of witty inventions. Did you know that's in Proverbs? I love that one. I've come up with many witty inventions that made so much sense to me, it changed how I lived. You say, really? Well, yeah, I didn't invent the iPad. But when God's wisdom got a hold of me and I found out in the iPad that I could do things and I could carry it with me and every book I've bought for the last, when did we go to... To Texas, we went to uh, uh, Gerald Brooks's pastor's conference and they gave us an iPad. Way, first generation iPad, way back. And I didn't know how to use it, but I learned at that point, this is way back, maybe 2009, let's say. A long time ago. And uh, I learned that people were putting out books in digital form. Inside of my iPad is every digital book I've ever purchased. Every note that I've ever taken about reading that digital book. And I can get to it with a couple keystrokes. Jesus became wisdom for us. You say, no, that was just Apple. Apple is not smart enough to do this without God. You say, well, Steve Jobs wasn't a Christian. Christians aren't smart enough to do this without God, and non-Christians certainly aren't. See, every once in a while, God's got to pour some stuff in. Amen or not? So when you're going, let me get back to, to, to why I wanted to teach this. We're going to get to chapter 4 in just a second. This is just the introduction <laughs> to chapter 4. When you get back to the things you struggle with in life, right? And you say, well, what should I do about this? Your first opportunity of communication should be with God. God, what is your way? And then shut up for a while and listen. Prayer is a two-way street, and an old 15th century uh, philosopher named Pascal something or other said God only speaks in his turn. You kind of got to be quiet every once in a while and listen. In fact, if you really want to get smart, just tell God you're listening. 
Go look at the guys who had successful ministries with God in the Bible. Here's your servant. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening now. Well, if you'll listen, God will talk to you. Or actually, you'll just hear what God's talking. See, sometimes our posture pushes away. In fact, turn back, if you would, please, to the book of Proverbs chapter 4. And it says in the second verse, it says, give attention. The first verse, second, second stanza or whatever we call these things. Give attention to no understanding. Hear, my children. How many of you have ever spoken to your children more than once? How about more than twice? How many of you have ever said the same thing to your children more than twice? How many have ever said to your second child things you said to your first child a hundred times? And they weren't paying attention because they weren't watching. And you said, are you listening? And they say yes, and then they still don't do it. Amen. He says, pay attention. Give attention to know. What it shows us is that in our life, the same way as in our children's life, exposure, ongoing exposure to the wisdom of God will change us. Give attention to no understanding. Sometimes what happens in the wisdom of God is you hear something that is so contrary to what you've always thought that you refuse it. Look down, if you would, please, into verse number four. Notice this. He said, he also taught me and said to me, let your hearts retain my commandments. Verse five, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget, nor turn away. Turning away is an interesting thing. And I don't know how many of you ever had your kids do this, but to, in today's economy, they do this. When they're filled up with whatever you're babbling about, occasionally what they'll do, I have a little granddaughter who does this. They'll put up their hand like this. What are they doing? They're turning away. They're pushing back on the wisdom that you're trying to give them. See, that's what happens in understanding wisdom is when we get full, we push like this. Right? How many of you know that throughout all of our life as Christians, we've been pushing like this? If you've been a Christian very long, long enough that, like I have, with a little bit of snow on the roof and those kinds of things, or lack of a roof, <laughs> you've been through some of the arguments that have taken place in the church. I remember back in the late 70s and early 80s when the argument was going on about church music. And we didn't believe, some of us, that anybody could get saved with that hippie music. Right? And there was arguments and people. When we were in Imperial, we had several people give us organs. We didn't have an organ player. And the, way, the reason they got an organ is because their family gave it to the first church of the frozen chosen that they left to come to ours. So now they have an organ, but they don't want it in their house. So what do they do? They give it to the church and say, wouldn't it be nice if we sang this song with an organ? Wouldn't it be nice if we had an organ player? Actually, it wouldn't. I hate organs. Sorry. I went to a church when I was young where the organ player evidently believed that whatever she was doing was the most important thing on the world platform because it was really loud. Maybe she did it to cover up all our bad singing. I don't have any idea, but, but you know, the, the point is throughout all our life, we've put our hand out and pushed against the wisdom of God. Listen to me. It won't do any good to try and get a generation of seekers saved if you, refri if you refuse to go where they are. 
<laughs> if you, when God spoke to me about jail ministry, I mean, I'm, I'm sometimes dumb as a stack of rocks. And I had this guy that was in jail, and, and the jail called me and said, hey, do you know this guy? And I said, well, yeah. And I had, this, I had this weird experience with him one time, the only time I ever met him. Well, he got arrested, and he's in jail. He's calling for me. Aren't you the pastor? Yep, I'm a pastor. So I'm ministering to this guy through jail bars. And I'm thinking, now this is pretty weird. You know, because I'm the one. He's kind of sitting back in this little jail cell, and I got my hands on the bars like you see in the movies. You know, I got my face kind of pressed up there. And I look like I'm on the wrong side of the bars. Because I'm just trying to get through the bars to him. And I'm going, you know, it might be good if we went ahead and ministered to the people who are on the wrong side of the bars. Duh. You know, that was before hashtags, but hashtag duh. Right? And, and so what happens is the wisdom of God gets you and you do something you never thought of before. I complained to God one year. We weren't having people saved. I've probably told this story a thousand times here, but it was October to October one year. We had 167 people get saved because that's what we focused on. You say, oh, that's awesome. Why don't we do that here? I'm going to tell you why we don't do that here. You say, don't you believe in salvation? Yeah, but most of y'all come to our church saved. You want to know why you come to our church? Because somebody in the church reached out to you in a discipleship relationship and found out that you were saved. If you're saved, let's go ahead and move on. We had 70 people out of the 167. 70 people come from a specific church in town, God's great holy sense of humor, who was pastored by a, a guy who I was offended with. And God said, we're going to do this. I said, God, why can't we have people saved? He said, we're going to do this together. And so I solicited my church. and We bought a book called Living Free in Christ. 160, we, didn't, we, we bought them 10 at a time. You know, and... and Every time somebody got saved, if you led somebody to the Lord, we gave you a book, had a little credit card or a little uh, postcard in it. And you filled this thing out and you gave it to me and, and put your name in it so they could, they could witness, so they could disciple with you. But then we knew who you were when you got saved. Seventy of them came from one church in our town. I had to write that pastor 70 times. And God got a great sense of humor. First time I'm going, dear pastor, I don't like you. He had personalized license plates that said Nimrod. Kind of the guy who started all the bad stuff. I'm thinking, why? You know, and that wasn't what his issue was. His issue was charismatic Pentecostalism. I had to write him 70 times and say, our picture that God gave us is to Christ, God, and heaven, not our church. Now, I would have been doing them people a favor in my mind if they had just joined our church. Seventy times I wrote to them. Okay. Now, what I would have liked to have done is the fifth verse, turn away, put my hand up and say, I ain't doing this. That's why you keep studying God's wisdom, because it'll change who you are, and how you operate. You say, well, but I don't want to change. Exactly. We believe, in large part, that we've already got most of it figured out. And yet, some of what we've got figured out, we've interpreted and or been taught wrongly. Come on, how many of you spent time like I did in the confession message? 
And you heard that you need to pay really close attention to what you say. Because if you say the wrong stuff, bad stuff happens. I always wondered why if I didn't say all the right stuff, right stuff didn't happen. Nobody was ever teaching me that. They just told me that bad stuff would happen if you talked about it long enough. I didn't understand that. And then I realized the personal responsibility of Christianity says you cannot affect me without my permission. If, listen... If your church was affected by people who didn't like what you were doing or believe what you were doing, this church would never exist. It would never exist. Because the whole of the county was largely opposed to building another, we've got enough churches. This was in writing. Pastors were opposed to it. You know, what could we have done? I mean, you know, it's a lot of years ago, but what could we have done? The only thing we could do is continue, and I'm speaking, you know, in absentia for them. The only thing we could, could do was to say, this is what God has said to us. Hide and watch. See what God does. See, he didn't, he didn't grow your church in spite of them. He, grew them. he grew your church because he was involved. See, they, they can't, you can't have that. So, so don't turn, here's the point. Don't turn away when God... Adjust your wisdom. Wisdom is literally the ability to regulate your relationship with God. When God calls you to a fast, this is, this is, a, this is a great example because no one that I know likes fasting. Okay? It can create in, in you the greatest expression of a two to four year old you'll ever see. Okay? Because you believe you'll actually die if you don't eat. When God calls you to a fast, he doesn't connect with your emotions to see if you're okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Don't, don't call me to fast, God. Remember, God called Tracy and I to fast one time. We fasted for 10 days. The church, this church um, paid for our hotel room, went up to Denver, stayed in a, in a kind of a residence kind of place for 10 days drinking V8 juice. After about, I don't know, three or four days, we started taking walks. I'm telling you what, those were the best days of our life. See, once you get past the whining, wisdom will hit you. You say, well, I fasted a meal. No, you didn't. You just didn't eat. See, you didn't, you didn't fast, you didn't turn your mealtime or your appetite that God gave you, you didn't turn that into a godly-focused thing because you continued to whine about what you didn't get to eat. And you would walk by play. We were walking in, in, in South Denver, down by the tech centers where we stayed, and, and, and we were on the west side of I-25, and so it was kind of a nice little area, and businesses and doctor's offices and so we we'd walk up and down there and you know you just notice things when God gets a hold of you you're praying and you think really you did that yeah because see you have to stop refusing the wisdom of God you can't say to him okay I've had enough I mean you can and we do but that's in fasting now let's just put it in everything what if God stretches you and and asks you to give Wait a minute, God. You don't... I always love when people tell God they don't understand. Right? You, you don't understand. I don't have enough money. For, 
if I had a nickel for every time I heard this in 40 years of ministry, I'd be a rich man. God doesn't understand. The book of wisdom, Proverbs, tells you, verse number two, verse number one, second part, give attention to no understanding. Who doesn't understand? You don't understand. What do we say? God, you don't understand. You don't understand God. Yeah, he really does. Occasionally, he'll teach you how to trust through things that you say he doesn't understand. Does that make sense? You'll be in a situation crying out to God, and you have a solution for your situation. Well, God, your word says, and you'll come up with these solutions. And what God wants for you is to trust him in the blankness of not knowing what to do. Because, see, when you trust him in not knowing what to do, he'll tell you what to do. If you trust him that he has to do what you've told him to do, you might miss. Does that make sense? See, that's wisdom. But sometimes you've got to stop in verse number five. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away. Verse four says, let your heart retain. I will tell you, you'll find out what's in your heart when you hit your thumb with a hammer. Because it'll come out, Right? Oh, help me, Jesus. You'll find out what's in your heart when you go through things that you were sure that God wasn't going to do. I've actually, I'm not going to say that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So occasionally what happens is you get to that place where you say, let your heart retain. There's a competition within the gate. Let me see if I can get this to you. How many of you know that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks? Do you know how it got there? How do you know what got in your heart? See, there's this gate that happens. The gate of your five senses between your brain and your heart. And so some of what God gets to you is there because you experienced it with God. It's easier to trust God when you experience something, right? God did this. Yay. It's not so easy when you don't experience it. So then your emotions and your senses tell you, I've never seen this happen. So what happens? You say, I don't know if that exists. How did that get in your heart? It came through the gate of your five senses. So we've got to get past, and and I don't want to be too new agey here, but you've got to engage that sixth sense, that, that invisible spiritual sense that allows you to say, with God, all things are possible. Right? See? And because what happens is the gateway to your heart comes through some of your experiences. So you've got to change your experiences and add the experience of trust. Wisdom places trust in there. Now, I, when, I, when God told me to teach Proverbs, I didn't know I was going to teach this. And I didn't know I was going to have just such a personal example of this. But, you know, you know what we're going through. And, and it's interesting. Because you can hear and experience all kinds of things. And it can affect how you receive God's word. And even more importantly, is it'll affect what comes out of you. Some people in difficult situations grab at straws, hoping there's some magic formula. The number of people 
that will send you, oh, I did this, do this. You know, well, okay. But I just tell you right now, there was a king in Israel who didn't gain the favor of God. I wish I could think of this scripture. But it said that this, this king didn't consult God. He consulted physicians. Now, I'm not opposed to doctors. Okay? But if you consult them first, you'll have to experience what their ideas are. And occasionally their ideas are they'd like to practice on you. And so they'll poke you and prod you, cut stuff out, put stuff in, give you poison, hope you don't die. There's nothing wrong with doing any of those things. There it is right there. Second Chronicles 16, 12. Thank you very much. Praise God for technology. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa had been king for 39 years. Surely he learned something in 39 years. Surely. Kings, priests, prophets. Those are the three guys in the Old Testament that God spoke to. 39 years as the king potentially hearing God's voice. Please learn something. Please. Asa became diseased in his feet. He knew what was wrong. And his malady was severe. It was bad. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. Oops. I don't think it's bad if you go to the doctors. Go all you want. Have a conversation. Lead your doctor to the Lord. But do what God God tells you to do. Because if not, you'll get to experience their practice. And they'll poke you, prod you, put stuff in, take stuff out. That's what they do. You say, well, what's the difference? You consulted God first. Thank you. Consulted God first. Do what God tells you to do. Listen, death is not a punishment. So if you take that off the table, then you can do what God... Well, and people come up to you and say, well, what if this doesn't work? Well, what if it does? You see, my trust is in God, first and foremost. So I only want to do what God tells me to do. Thank you, Jeremy. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 40 for... (laughs) Oops! How sick do you have to be to die from an ingrown toenail? He's diseased in his feet. Can I tell you what they do? I have a grandfather before the understanding of diabetes was there that, that he had a sore on his, on his uh, right foot that didn't heal. So they cut his foot off behind the toes about three inches. So he just had to remember that kicker, that Dempsey guy that kicked the football and had the flat front of his shoe. He had a foot like that. And he could kick a football. My grandpa could kick a football. And they cut his foot off. Now, Asa has a problem in his feet. The physicians experimented, evidently, because they ran out of things that would fix it, so they just cut it off. And he died. Please don't make this into some sort of don't go to doctors things. Come on, get it in the right order here. Wisdom will get it in the right order. Look at verse number 7. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. It's the beginning or the first fruits of your relationship with God. It's the first fruits of your relationship with God. Literally, wisdom starts the working of God in your life. See, God knows what you need. 
So he will guide and direct you into circumstances and situations. You say, does God cause it? Nope. But if you're stupid enough to resist him, he'll take you down a path that you'll pay attention to. Been there and done that. You say, really? Yes. Why? Because God cares about us. Do you know that God's working harder to get you in heaven than you are getting, working to get there? Come on. He says, have it be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is working hard to get heaven into you. It's not a place you go. It's a place you live. He's, trying to, he's working hard to get it into you. And we're working hard to stay away. We resist. You say, what does heaven cause you to do? Sometimes it'll cause you to do crazy stuff. Amen. Verse 8, exalt her and she'll promote you. Exalt her. Again, I love it when, when and Pastor Terry did this last week, when wisdom is given a personality, and, and I'm a little offended that it's always a woman, but there you go. Um. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much for that. You, 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 you've been a grade school teacher too long. <laughs> look, at, look at verse number 10. He says, hear my son. Again, it's one of those times where, where the, the teacher is saying over and over and over again, hear my son, receive my sayings. How many of you of older people have recognized that now that you're older, you say some things that your mom and dad said? And we love it in some cases. In other cases, we go, oh, man, I became my mom or I became my dad. Why? Because you received their sayings. Right? My grandfather always said to me, he died in 1970. I was in sixth or seventh grade when that happened. And he would say to me, whenever he'd see me, he, and sorry, my, my family name was always Glenny. Okay? I know. It's hard. He'd say, hey, Glenny. They called my brother Richie, okay? And, and he would always say to me, hey, Glenn. I go, yeah. I knew what he was going to say. He'd always say, you got any folding money? The right answer when your grandpa asks you if you got folding money, come on. No. Because he's going to put a dollar bill, fold it up, in your hand. My grandpa gave me a dollar every time he, he did. My grandfather would turn over one of those nickel machines with all the trinkets in it. My grandpa would put nickels in that and shake that machine until he got out what I wanted. Yeah. I remember some of the wisdom. Why? Why did he do that? He didn't care if he got caught at it. Because he wanted to bless me. Right? My mom was an only child. It was my, my grandfather, my mother was his only natural child. He married, a, a, he married two women. Both of them had children. So he got an instant family initially. That woman passed away after my mother was, was uh, born. And in fact, passed away in 1957. And, and he married another woman who had other children. So my mother was, a natural, uh, was his only natural child. And so we, my brother and I, were his only grandkids. And I just want to tell you something. That is not a bad place to be. And you say, well, but pastor, what, what do you mean? Listen, hear what they say, because what happens is God will use your circumstances and your experiences and turn them into wisdom. How do you talk about, you know, I've got, I've got a grandson that's 13 years old that's asking me about investing. Well, grandpa, how do we do this? Go ahead, find somebody in your family that's looking at 13 years old, how to retire a millionaire. You say, does he want to just retire a millionaire? 
No, he's also the grandson that I'm going to give this Bible to. They're also the grandchildren who call us almost every night to do Bible study with them. See, somehow or another, wisdom in the form of sayings has gotten across to them. Receive them. Hear my son, receive my saying, and the years of your life will be many. See, God blesses people through this process to keep you on the earth to to inspire and to work through the, 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 the wisdom that he's given you for other people. God doesn't give you wisdom for you. What you get out of wisdom is a byproduct. You'll bless other people through your wisdom more than you'll ever be blessed by it. Amen. Look at verse number 11, or verse number 13. It says, take a firm hold of instruction. I love this one. Take a firm hold. What does it mean? What do you think it means to take a firm hold on something? You ever done any of that? How many of you ever took a firm hold on your spouse? I mean, you grabbed a hold of her and you squeezed her like only you can squeeze her. Right? Because the implication in taking a hold is the implication of intimacy. He's saying, have an intimate relationship with my instruction. So you can squeeze it. And I don't mean, don't, please don't hear this in a graphic kind of way. But I'm not going to hug your wife and you're not going to hug my wife the way I hug her. Because there's an implication of grown, learned intimacy. Right? My wife knows, for an example, because of the length of my fingers, she takes her little fingers and gets them in between here, and it hurts because when she squeezes my hand, I say, you get one finger in here, when you squeeze my hand, look at that, I got about an inch and a half in between there when you put a finger in there, when you squeeze that, it hurts like thunder. My wife knows not to hold my hand interlocked fingers. We were walking the other day, she moved her purse to her other hand and grabbed a hold of my hand. Now, she's, she's a bit occasionally a teaser. And so she will grab my hand, slip her fingers in between there, and then squeeze them just to make me holler. Again, there's an implication of, of, of intimacy there. I'm not going to smack her, right? But if you come up to me and do that, I might smack you. Why? Because there's intimacy involved in taking a hold. Are you getting this? Does that make sense? You've got to grab a hold of his instructions with a level of understood intimacy. Man, God is for you. Look at verse 16. But the path of the just is like the shining sun. I just want to tell you something. If you follow the sun, it'll never be dark in your life. You can spell sun however you choose. That shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Did you notice that wisdom says that God is leading you to a perfect day? Did you see it? This is verse 4 and and 19. No, 18. That shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Where's he leading you? Where does wisdom lead you? The perfect day. I know some of you are saying, well, that doesn't happen. See, you resisted it already. Because, see, your experiences speak louder than your belief in the Word of God. Amen? Look at this. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Isn't that crazy? I've, I've, I've been with people who didn't know why they were in the pile they were in. And I just want to shake them and slap them and say, Hey, um, 
uh, excuse me, for just a second, but you did this. Well, I can't believe God isn't blessing me. Well, quit running away from him. Right? Verse 22. Well, 21. Do not let them depart. Give attention. Verse 20 says, 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, health to all their flesh. Man, if you don't have any part of the Bible underlined but this one, it'll help you. Verse 22. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the very issues of life. It literally says, out of your heart will spring the borders of your life. The, the, the thing that puts fences around you springs forth from your heart. You will never do anything that doesn't have a resting place in your heart. I realize that's an ugly thing to recognize. You don't, don't come at me and say, well, it was an accident, Pastor. No, it wasn't. You had a spot in your heart where you hid this. You say, no, I didn't. It was all completely accident. Quit resisting the wisdom of God. The Bible says that it'll bring the boundaries or the issues of life. You won't do anything that didn't find a spot in your heart. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> Come on. That's why young people do stuff when we're old. We look at them and go, did you not know this wasn't going to turn out well? My son tells a story of getting his first speeding ticket. And Tracy and I, Tracy came to me and said, I feel like God told me to leave JR alone. This is Pastor JR. Uh, leave JR alone. He says, he's going to get a ticket. And that's how God's going to teach him. So she just, all of a sudden, just quit talking about it. Oh, I don't know. Ten days later, comes home with a ticket. Sets it on the countertop. Goes to bed. Nobody, the ticket set there. Nobody said anything. Finally, J.R. picks it up and says, aren't you going to say anything about this? Yep. You get to tell your dad, and you get to pay for it. That's it. That's it. Why? Because when you embrace wisdom, when God tells you not to touch someone, you embrace wisdom, it'll do a work in their life. Does that make sense? Yeah, amen. All right, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us. We just bless you, Lord God, for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.